Welcome to Redeemer City Church. Uh, a couple of things that I want to piggyback off what Mitch was saying. I'm super excited about the lab initiative. And what's exciting is we have, uh, my name is Jerome Milner. I'm an associate pastor here, for those of you that don't know. And I'm a part of V3. I'm on the board. And we have a single donor that's willing to match every, every dollar that comes. So, you know, your $5 will turn to 10 it, Redeemer, we raised seven. That's instantly 14 uh, to reach that $100,000 goal because he wants to see churches come together. So not just this church, but other churches around the city. So really excited about that, um, just to see churches working together. That's number one. The second thing that he was speaking about of inviting people, we don't want to do that because we want 200 more people as far as numbers go. That's not even the reason why. We don't have a building enough to even you know, host that many. But the goal is is to bring mature people that, that are ready to mature in the faith. And like Christ said, and like what Paul said in, in Ephesians, that there's gifts that are spread out to every single person. We want to elevate those gifts and mature those gifts in each and everybody. So um, super excited. We are praying uh, for that to happen and for God to transform Tampa Heights. And we believe that's how that will happen. So... Um, anyways, like you said, um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, this is the text on love. But before we dive into that, I want to read something from St. Augustine, um, who was a theologian, a philosopher, whose writings really helped shape um, or influence Western Christianity. So St. Augustine says this. He states that he wants to be forgiven for the corruption of his soul. So he can love God again. He says, whatever pleases you, you should love him who created it. If material things please you, then praise God for them. But turn back your love upon him who made them. So then we ask, well, what is love? What is rightly ordered love? Most of us have heard the phrase, well, God is love. But I would challenge you to ask yourself if you really believe that, if you really believe that God is love. Because if you do, then there's implications to that belief. Others have said that love is when you really care for somebody and you would do anything for that person. Let's take that definition for a second. Do we really feel that way about God? Right? Will we do anything for him? And this is examine yourself. Right? Examine yourself. Where do you spend your time? Is it in a relationship with a God who loved you first, who sent his only son to die on the cross, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life? Do you spend a time with that God, with that personal God? How often do we genuinely talk to him? How be his name? His kingdom come, his will be done. How often do we carve out time in our day to spend time with him? Recalibrating our vision up. I appreciate it to myself as well. I'm included in this. Listen to what Dr. Michael Austin wrote um, 
about achieving happiness, according to Augustine. He says this. Our problem is misplaced love. We love the wrong things, or we love the right things in the wrong way. I'm going to say that again. Our problem is misplaced love. We love the wrong things, or we love the right things in the wrong way. For example, we wrongly love power, fame, wealth, appearance, and many other things that are unworthy of our love. It's unworthy of our love. We also love things that are worthy of our love, people, individuals, pets. But we do this in an excessive manner. We put others in the place reserved for God. And that's dangerous because it undermines our growth. It undermines our own happiness. See, Augustine believes if we love God first and foremost, this will work itself out in our lives. And our loves will become properly ordered. We'll still love others, creation, all the good things in life, but we'll love them in the right way and we'll love them to the right extent. So what is he saying? If you turn your eyes to the Father first, vision up, everything will be lined up in the correct order. Right? Jesus says, first seek ye the kingdom of God, then everything will be ordered up correctly. That's pretty much how you exegete that scripture. But he says, first seek ye the kingdom of God, all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I love that. I love I don't parse words. I don't think Paul never parses words, right? He's very intentional with his words. All these things, Christ, all these things will be added to you. Things. But we love things more than we love God. That's the problem. Jesus is like, these are just things. Like, like fame, money, like all this is going to be added to you. First to give the kingdom of God and all this is, this is just stuff. It's not just about coming to hear me or Mitch speak, going about your day. It's not what it's about. As I promise you, by 6 p.m. tonight, 90% of you have probably forgot what my message was about. <laughs> and that's okay. The other 10% will forget by Monday, depending on who wins Super Bowl tonight. So what do we do? What is it about? It's about acknowledging and recognizing God first, then allowing him to shape you and pour into you and lead you into your purpose. Tangibly, it looks like I always get these questions like, what do we have to tell me what to do? I've heard that. What do I what do I got to do? I know okay, pray, but like what like what do I pray? Like what do I do? Tangibly, it looks like this. Carving out time for God every day. Reading scripture. Sitting in silent meditation. Joining growth, growth track. Joining a city group. Getting immersed in community. This is where Philippians, Philippians chapter 2 kind of comes into play where he says, esteem others higher than yourself. But how do we get there? We can't do it on our own. We can't do it without the greatest gift. And Paul says that the greatest gift is love. All right, so if you have a Bible, 
or if you want to put it up on a screen, we are in chapter 13, verse 1. And we're going to read all of 13 for context. It's only 13 verses, so. Got it up there? All right, so chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. The greatest gift. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself around. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not speak. Sorry, does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquities. But rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they'll fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also I am known. And now abide in faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. I love how plainly Paul speaks. I mean, it's like you can just read the Bible. <laughs> what a concept. You can, it's, it's, it's like a letter from your, uh, your great, 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 great grandfather. And you're kind of just reading this. You know, there's a lot to unpack here. And I'm chomping at the bit to really dive into all of it, but it's going to be unfair to Mitch for his sermon next week. And it's going to be unfair to everyone here because I only know I have your attention for a short time. So I'm going to try to honor that. But I want to go over verse one. And we're going to stay right in these three verses. The first three verses. So though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... Another translation would say, you know, if I spoke, let's say if I spoke with the tongues of men and of angels, but didn't have love, I had become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. A more up-to-date metaphor would be like nails on a chalkboard. Like no one, no one wants to hear your linguistic accomplishments, you know, it's, 
But I like, I actually like Paul's, um, Paul's metaphor better. Because like a sounding brass, like a trumpet. You ever hear somebody practice a trumpet or like a trombone? Oh, and it just, it's just, geez, man, they're still practicing? Like it's, geez, like stop already, right? Or a clanging cymbal. Just imagine like, like the monkey that with the, with the thing is going back and forth and just clanging the cymbal. That's what he's saying. This is this person's like, hey, look at me, look at me, look at how smart I am, look at how many languages I speak. Ni asi ma, bonjour, mi vous No. Hola, maintienes? No, no. Obnoxious, right? Quick note. It's interesting that Jesus and. If you were here last month, I preached in, um, on prayer and in Matthew 6, and he talked about charitable deeds. You don't, need, you don't need to go there, but, you know, he said, don't be like the hypocrites. You know, when you do your char- charitable deeds, do them in secret. Don't be like the hypocrites sounding the trumpet, you know, banging the cymbal, and, you know, for they want the glory of men. He says, surely I say to you, they will have their reward. This is kind of like that. Where I, I just, this person wants the glory of men. You know. And he's saying, okay. Jesus is saying, that's what you want, then that's what you'll get. You see, the praise for men means nothing. Just like our linguistic accomplishments without love. It's nothing. Verse 2. And if I have the gift of prophecy, of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, that's pretty powerful, but have not love, I am nothing. See, Paul speaks of the gift of prophecy as an essential gift because it brings truth to God's people. Prophecy simply means speaking forth or proclaiming publicly. But even this most vital gift, which is almost a prerequisite for the evangelistic gift because it lays the foundation and environment for the evangelistic gift, which lays the foundation and environment for the shepherding gift, for people to be shepherded because the evangelistic moves people in to be shepherded in. That lays the environment for the teaching gift because the people that get shepherded need to be taught. So you trace it back to the prophecy gift. But even this gift, without love, nothing. Dr. Martin Luther King had a prophetic gift. Do you think that he would accomplish anything without the love of God in him? Listen to one of his famous quotes. I'm sure you guys have heard this. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. You think he had a solid understanding of this? I would say yes. What else does verse 2 say? 
gift of prophecy and, I, and understanding all mysteries and knowledge. And though I have all faith that I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. It says, even if I have wisdom, knowledge, discernment, and faith, enough to move mountains, without love I'm nothing. In Philippians, Paul counts this all as loss. He says, for the excellent for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord, for which he has suffered the loss of all things. This is Paul. He suffered the loss of the status of being a Pharisee, um, lineage of tribe of Benjamin, right? Uh, bragging rights, entitlement. All these things, you name it, that Paul had, he says he counts it all as rubbish. Another translation would be garbage, trash. He says, that's trash. That's what he says. But trash is at least something, though, right? You ever heard the saying, like, some people's garbage is other people's treasure? That's at least something. He's saying without love, he's nothing. Less than trash. Less than garbage. Everything he does without love brings no value. When you think about that, it's striking. Um, and you really think about that because it should cut us it should cut us deep and it should it should make us want to know this god this god of love we were just singing this song reckless love who is this god who leaves the 99 to get the one i don't deserve it though he gives himself away we were just singing that song It should push us to want to know this, this God. Look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. And though I do all these morally good works and good deeds... I mean, I let people merge in when I'm driving, you know, when I'm on my way to a Super Bowl party. Like, go ahead, go ahead. You can yeah, go ahead. You're good. Take out the trash for my neighbor. She's an old lady. It's morally good things. I'm doing, I give money to the poor. And I can give my body to be burned. So... Paul wrote this in like 55 A.D., and he might be working with a little bit of a prophetic gift because in 65, 64 A.D., under Nero, Christians were being burned, right? So Nero would literally crucify Christians and light them on fire. He'd have these parties, these garden parties, and he would need light, and he would put Christians up and light their bodies on fire, and they would party, drink, have a good time, and all these Christians would be burned everywhere. So the point is this, he's saying, and this is even 
probably 10 years before that was really prominent. He's saying, even if I died this horrible death for God, right, but without love, it profits you nothing. It's like someone doing it because maybe if I die this horrible death, then I'll be on the right hand of the right hand of God. Right hand of the right hand of God. Think about it. Or maybe I'll be, uh, I'll get like the biggest mansion in heaven. Yeah. I'll be next to the 12. I'll be included in that. Maybe that's why he did. Prophecy nothing. The good news is that love outlasts all spiritual gifts. And back then, the Corinthians, they highly esteemed all the other gifts other than love. So the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, discernment, experience, tongues, interpretation of tongues. They held all those gifts higher than love. Look at verse 8. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Love never fails. Why? Because the very essence of true love is a living God. Turn with me real quick to John, First John 4 and 7. Or you can just read it. It might be up on the screen here in a second. Listen to this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that he might live through him. In this, his love is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the mercy seat, the appeasement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Three types of love. There's probably more types of love, but. Things sound better in three, so we're saying there's three types of love. First love. 
childish love. You feed me milk, you change my diaper. When I cry, you come, bounce me. Take, 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 take. That's childish love. Some of us have been in relationships where someone is just always taken, right? Never gave. What can you do for me? That's childish love. Then there's adolescent love. This is a quid pro quo love, right? Highly transactional. This is obviously is conditional. You know, it's you scratch my back, I scratch yours. You know, you do the dishes, I'll mow the lawn. You make dinner, then I'll pay the bills. But you got to make dinner every night. Don't skip out on chilly night. It's the best night. My wife makes great chili. I don't, I don't say any of that stuff, by the way. I just love her chili. It's good. You love her chili, too. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it was good. You had it the night. Yeah, you had it the night. You had it the other night. It was good. Anyways, okay. I digress. Sorry. So then there's mature love, right? Mature love. God sees the good, the broken, and the future always present in all things. Always commingled. That's mature love. Mature love sees with the eyes of our Heavenly Father. You know, I want to read a poem from Zach's book. I'm going to step off. That really sums up mature love. Bear with me. Listen to this. Noticing. The world around me is the same, yet completely different. I see through the eyes of mature love. I slow my pace, my breath, my life. There is much to see that I missed before. Moment by moment, I notice the good and I affirm it. I notice the broken, and I acknowledge it. I notice the future, and I agree with the coming shalom. Good, broken, future. All three, always. Now I see. Embrace. It's not enough to just notice them. I long to embrace, just like my father. I affirm the good, and I celebrate I acknowledge the broken, and I mourn. I participate with the future, and I mend. I delight in shalom. I travel the seams where things are being set right again. I lean in close, present, and patient. Fear dies as love comes fully alive. Life to the full, my life is full. Now I see love. The source of love is alive in me. My love flows into the margins and the seams. I am emptied. 
I am poured out. My love returns to the source. I am filled anew. My heart steadies with gratitude, compassion, hope. He is love. I am love. They are loved. Now I see. I want to close with this. In Isaiah, it says that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not his, our ways, right? You guys remember us preaching about that last month, that his thoughts are actually higher than our thoughts. How do I get my thoughts up there? It's probably an impossible task, but maybe the better question is, how do I get my thoughts higher than where they are currently? And what's hindering me? What's hindering that? The answer is selfishness. We think of our own needs too much. And I preach it to myself here as well. You know, we just wrapped up Philippians uh, uh, last week, and I just want to take another look at Philippians chapter 4. I believe we'll have it up on the screen. Chapter 4, verse 8. Really quick. Philippians 4.8 says this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Wherever we see the love of God, meditate on those things. Sit still, slow down, contemplate those things. Then I believe that we can perhaps start to scratch the surface of mature love. Amen? Let us pray.